0: right welcome to this week's episode of the extra innings podcast here at the Seattle Times I'm Mariners beat writer Ryan Divish your host of this semi-weekly foray into the world of baseball uh, music movies whatever we talk about it's supposed to be about baseball but Larry and I tend to digress um, so we took a little bit of a hiatus I think about eight or nine days that was largely because of just kind of logistics Larry went to Toronto and to cover the sport that I don't like to mention and not because I hate soccer. I don't mind soccer. I just, you know, I like being that guy. Um, and then, so with him in, in Toronto and then me leaving a day early, I flew out on Saturday, the winter meetings, in Orlando, it just didn't work. And then the logistics in the, uh, in the hotel and the Swan and dolphin, um, uh, there really wasn't a place where we could record that. And those, they're kind of long days. Um, Just kind of backgrounds on the winter meetings. You you go to these huge, massive resorts, and and the winter meetings aren't just major league teams. It's not just teams talking amongst each other about uh, trades or meeting with free agents. They have actual meetings. Like, staffers have meetings. Scouts have meetings with the league based on rules, all that kind of stuff. Uh, Even GMs have meetings for rules committee. Managers have meetings. So while that's going on, there's, like, legit meetings other than just meetings about trades, also, like the minor leagues have their winter meetings there. So there was a ton of kids in college that are there or just out of college. They're looking for jobs with minor league organizations, even major league organizations, huge job fair. Uh, so it's just like a whole huge get together. And basically you go there. I mean, because we're on the East Coast and the time difference, you know, we could get there a little later. I used to I usually like to get there about eight thirty nine o'clock. And then we don't usually get done writing and everything till about 9 or 10 o'clock at night, just depending on that day's work. Um, you know, you meet with the, G- the Mariners general manager every day. Uh, so we have Jerry DePoto every day at 5.30. They have other events, like Scott Service had a media availability on Tuesday of that week. We have a, a luncheon with the managers where all the, the writers there, we sat with Service and had an off-the-record lunch with him all the managers so they have these massive room with tables and all the writers sit at the tables of their respective managers have off the record lunch that's kind of cool they have hall of fame stuff there's a lot of stuff going on so it's just like you know you're just kind of in this mass of people and then like what you're also supposed to do because like agents or scouts or whatever they don't come to you obviously there's this huge lobby and lobby bar so you just kind of walk around the lobby and you're trying to to meet people or just grab conversations or if you run into an agent say hey what are you hearing on this about your guy that's where all that comes from so if you like go to winter meetings you, you go in the lobby area rosenthal and john hayman buster only a little bit not as much uh, bob nightingale uh joel sherman a lot of the national writers they're all out there in the lobbies at all times just walking around and waiting to see who walks by or working the room or meeting with guys you know texting guys they're all on their phone checking twitter obviously and then they're texting agents or uh, scouts or sometimes you know assistant gms or front office guys hey can you meet up i gotta ask you something and stuff like that so it's it's pretty crazy and then plus you also through all that you have um, TV sets set up all over. So you do have players coming through there and you have coaches walking around. So it is, it's cool. I mean, I don't know that it's fun because you're just kind of sitting there waiting for news to happen and, you know, or trying to find stuff. It's just kind of a constant search, but it is different. Uh, and I was really happy that the Times uh, let Larry go. I'm really appreciative of that from my boss, Paul Barrett, making that happen. It really helped me out a lot. I felt like we, wrote some good stuff obviously would have liked to written more about trades and things like that but that didn't happen i'm recording this right now it's 4 30 friday afternoon i talked to larry just a little bit ago we did about an hour so i'm not going to keep talking but we go through all the moves and everything like that we discuss the angels and their their push uh most notably they just signed zach kozart the red shortstop to play third base to go with ian kinsler who they just traded for and of course shohei otani so we talk a little bit about that. We obviously talk about what the Mariners did with their bullpen, uh, the moves they made, the, the the two small trades for international slot money, and then the um, the the signing of Juan Nicasio, which won't be official till probably next week, and then kind of it seems to be Jerry's done, and this is something we'll address a little bit more in the next podcast. But it, it I, I'm really not expecting him to do much more in terms of big names. He might try and sign one more starting pitcher, but. I don't think it's like you, Darvish, like some people hope, or Alex Cobb even. It would probably be a lower-level guy. At this point, though, you might even you take that. Because I look at the rotation, I'm not super impressed. Again, I'm not some baseball expert, but the little bit I know, I, I don't know that I, I think the rotation is going to be enough to carry them in what is a pretty tough division. Um, so well, let's get to uh, me and Larry's interview. And thanks again for listening. All right bringing back larry stone as usual larry and i just spent how many days were we in scenic orlando
1: well sunday night uh, through uh leaving on thursday so three full days and parts of two others
0: yeah and i was there on saturday so it's a lot of time together larry and i got (laughs) to uh, spend a lot of quality time in the swan and dolphin resort uh, for people that think the winter meetings are glamorous or fun or you're sitting by a pool, no, we pretty much just sit in this really big ballroom all day and um, look at our computers and then check your phones, you know, you're texting with agents. A couple times I got up to go and talk to a few guys. Um, You know, sometimes we went and looked in the lobby, but you don't work the lobby maybe as much as John Heyman or Ken Rosenthal because the agents aren't maybe as interested in talking to you or I don't know all the agents. So uh, what was your initial impressions of your return to the winter meetings?
1: (laughs) Well, first of all, uh, you know, we spent all that time together and I don't think we had one fight. So, uh, you know, that's better than... uh... Than
0: than most couples. <laughs>
1: um, that was the longest know,
0: relationship of my life, right there. Those four <laughs>
1: days. uh They were surprisingly uh, uneventful. I think I, you know, I've been to a lot of winter meetings, and I don't know if I've ever been to one where less happened. Uh, you know, right off the bat on Monday there was the the Giancarlo Stanton press conference, but that deal was done before the winter meetings, and just sort of. Uh, made official there. And then uh, that was the only time that the uh, interview or the press conference area was used the entire time because there was nothing else worthy of a press conference. There was a couple of little deals, uh, small signings, but no blockbusters at all. Usually you have a couple. And so um, it was a little anticlimactic, I think. Once Otani signed before the winter meetings and Stanton was done, that took the two big blockbusters out of play. And everyone thought that might uh, grease the skids for a uh, barrage of deals, but it just didn't happen.
0: No, it was relatively boring for the most part. I think the highlight of my um, – I don't know. I didn't really have any highlights. I know for you the highlight of yours was meeting the kids from Cespedes Barbecue. <laughs> that upped your cool factor. They knew who you were. That upped your cool factor a little bit, didn't
1: it? Well, it upped my cool factor with my son who sent me a text before uh, that happened saying – uh, you've got to meet the Cespedes barbecue before, you know that's that's your goal there so because he's a big fan so when I told him I had met him he was he was pretty thrilled. actually the most exciting moment of the entire winter meetings was probably when Jeff Passan dropped that uh, Otani blockbuster uh, at about 11 o'clock on Tuesday night that he had uh, that his he got a, somehow got a hold of his uh, uh, physical, exam and found out that he had elbow issues and that you know that sh- caused a uh, sh- some shock waves at, at you know 11 o'clock when most most of the writers are in the bars by that time
0: yeah this writer uh, was in the bar
1: <laughs> yeah we had just finished i was still at dinner you uh, with greg johns and tom, tom hudrecourt i think from uh, milwaukee and you were with us then you left you left to go hit the bars but we stayed there for a while just talking and then that that moved and uh, Um, you know, I'd hate to be an angels writer, have to deal with that at, uh, 11 o'clock at night.
0: Yeah. So, but yeah, we all, you know, most of the writers when you're down, you know, with Twitter and you can have the updates to your phone. I mean, I have, uh, for to get like notifications on my phone. I have it for passing nightingale, uh, Rosenthal, Buster Oney, basically all the, um, the, Uh, national guys and then Greg Johns because he's kind of my competition but um, yeah so we're all sitting there um, you know you guys are all together and it was kind of funny you know Jeff puts out that tweet and I think a lot of people have him as notification as well so I'm standing at the bar waiting in line to get a drink with uh, Rustin Dodd of the Kansas City Star and we're just kind of sitting there we both you know phone buzzes we both look at it our eyes just got big and we look at each other like no way and i was like it was craziness and you know you could just see all around that bar area and there are hundreds of people there it's this huge lobby area that's where agents and and people from different organizations and writers and everybody hangs out a lot of the the scoops and stuff kind of get told there the background stuff and so you can see everybody all checking their phones at once because they're getting these notifications or somebody's texting them what's happening and i mean the entire bar just went crazy. Like, everybody's like, oh, my God. And (laughs) I have a, you know, I know the Angels writers pretty well. uh, Pedro Mora from the LA Times. Later when I talked to him, he just looked like a broken down and beaten man. Like, he he got a statement from Billy Epler, the Angels GM, later. But he had heard about an hour before Passant wrote that, that Passant had some sort of scoop, and he was trying to figure out what it was. And then the big thing was is, like, only Passant had the report you know, the physical. So nobody could look at it and verify it or anything. So all they could really go on is that was this report from you. I mean, this was an old fashioned scoop, like you'd see back in the days that nobody had, you know, everybody could retweet it or write off of it. But he had it and nobody else had that information. And I talked to Pedro afterwards and he was just kind of explaining how how much he had to chase and he was just going crazy and trying to get. It. And then once it leaked, he was trying to get it confirmed. And it was He looked, you know, he just looked tired, and it was it it all happened late. You know, that's the thing. It broke at, you know, 10, 30, 11 o'clock, and then basically after that, everybody sat in the bar that night trying to determine which team leaked the physical.
1: (laughs) Yeah, after we finished dinner, I went back to the the media room to pack up my stuff, and, uh, um, you know, I expected there to be a whole bunch of writers there frantically trying to, you know, update their stories, but there was only a few, but Jeff Passan happened to be in there, uh, there, he was one of the just maybe six or seven people who were in there working. And so I walked by and I said, uh, congrats, nice job, Jeff. And he was he was frantically writing something, I don't know, an update or whatever. And he just kind of looked up and goes, thanks, and then just went back to writing. Um, but, uh, you know, it seemed to just – it seemed to be a huge story. and It was a good story, but I think it's the, – the angels have gone – way out of their way to to minimize the impact of it by saying that you know they would assign you know they knew what they were getting into they don't think it's serious i mean your first impression when you saw this was oh my god he's damaged goods he's gonna need tommy john surgery you know maybe he won't even play this year you know the ramifications when you saw that tweet were immense and then i think it's been walked back a little over time and i think they their expectations for otani are the exactly you know the same as they were before but now you, know, you you there's a little bit of a cautionary note there and that you know he's got at least some issues with his elbow and we have to wait and see if that's going to have effect this year
0: No, every team would have still signed him because you're not paying that much money i mean because you're paying him three million or whatever the angels aren't even quite three million and then you're paying the 20 million dollar posting fee and you get him for six years so even if you thought that that elbow might blow at some point you're still signing him because you get him for six years uh and that's still a really good deal but, you know, it is something that they watch about. Now, the Angels have said even before that news came out that they were going to go to a six-man rotation uh, to kind of mm-hmm. keep him used to what he'd been pitching on. You know, Iwakuma, when he came over um, a few years ago, or when he first came over, he really struggled with going every fifth day, and he had arm fatigue and dead arm, and that's why he started that season in the bullpen is because he just couldn't bounce back quick enough because he was so used to going every sixth day instead of every fifth day, and um, if the Mariners had gotten Otani, they would have kept him on that. And now with the idea that he has a bad elbow or maybe even just, you know, an elbow that has some cautionary tales around it, you have to keep him on every six day, don't you?
1: Yeah, I think you do. And, you know, one other thing is, you know, you say you have him for six years. I think theoretically, someone explained to me, you have him for nine years if you want because he signed a minor league contract. Oh, yeah. You don't have to put him on your major league roster. If he suddenly tomorrow came up with an injury that required a season-ending surgery and he has yet to be made a major leaguer, he's a minor leaguer, so you don't even start as cl- – you know, you, oh, I think he yeah. gets three years in the minors – before you, we can call him up and, uh, you know, start his major league clock. So, yeah, so uh, you, you have even longer to work with than, than six years.
0: So if he blew out in spring before they have to cut down to the opening day roster and they just option him back to exactly. Salt Lake City, then he would, yeah, that's that's crazy. Then you could basically have two years in the minors for him to recover without using any of your major league service time.
1: Exactly. I'm sure there was an agreement that he was going to become a major leaguer you know, uh, you know that that's the assumption of everybody is that he's going to start and not spend a day in the minor leagues. But if there's a season-ending injury, that changes. So, um, you know, yeah, you could let him ride out as Tommy John if that's what happens and still have, you know, you get, most pitchers or a lot of pitchers come back strong or stronger from, from Tommy John surgery. So, you know, the, even if it's a worst-case scenario, it doesn't necessarily have to be a deal killer. And you also have the hitter too, you know. If you know something happens to minimize him as a uh, as a pitcher, he has the other option of being a hitter. So, yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Every team in baseball would have signed him, even with that physical uh, exam that that showed some some alarming things.
0: And and we don't know that he'll need Tommy John surgery right away or something like that, or he's going to blow out this year. Look. He had the PRP shot in October as a as part of the process of that. It, it was, a I think, a strained ulnar lateral ligament. Or ulnar lateral. I can't say. Ulnar <laughs> lateral ligament. Uh, ulnar colli- I can't say, I give up. <laughs> we all know what you mean. Yeah. So, UCL. He has strained UCL. And I'm sure there's some damage to it. Um, but Masahiro Tanaka had the same issue. He got the PRP injection. And I don't know i don't think he missed i think he made 28 starts last year i'd have to look and see but i mean he he dealt with it david price um they've dealt with it now there have been others garrett richards has done it too uh but drew smiley he also did the same thing it did not work so there's you know he could be fine for the entire season you know i don't think they're going to pitch him 200 innings anyways that with six starts or six starters that would be unlikely anyways but um you know, it's not to say that he's going to blow out immediately because he has this bad elbow. Right. Exactly. Um,
1: it, it, you, it could go either way. You just don't know with the, with the human arm. And uh, he is young. He's twenty three, and he doesn't have that many innings under his belt. But that really doesn't matter anyway. If I mean, this thing could tear, or it could, he could just pitch with it. It's a, it's a fickle thing. So. Um, yeah, they absolutely will be cautious with him, and I think do everything they can to minimize his innings. Uh, I'm curious to see how they work him into the lineup. You know, an Angels lineup which suddenly is is getting much better with you know Kinsler and Kozard added to it. Uh, they've. Uh, clearly decided that they're 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 kind of going for it this year i'll be interested to see if they go out and get one more pitcher too if they do they're going to be a tough team to beat for the wild card for the mariners you know you got to figure they're playing for the wild card with the astros uh and so the the, the angels are a team they're going to have to beat out and so so are the rangers who are going to make some moves so uh it's not going to be easy and you also have the red Sox and or yankees who are going to be in the wild card mix and then the team that made the wild card last year the twins are doing some things too uh so you know it's uh if they want to end this playoff drought it's not going to be easy this year
0: hey who was it do you remember so when felix fernandez signed his contract extension the 175 million dollar contract it was like a technically a new contract or whatever but who was the was it nightingale that wrote that he had fraying of his his ulnar collateral ligament i see i said it right there or hmm. uh, was it Nightingale or was it Rosenthal? Remember that because we were like all writing I do. In that, and then that came out, and then the Mariners just went crazy. Like, oh no, this that, and Sorensen came into the media room at spring training to tell us about it and everything like that. It was it was very interesting.
1: Yeah, but uh, I I don't remember which one. I think it was one of those two, and I don't I don't remember which one either. Uh, I'm thinking Nightingale, but they did put in a clause in their contract did they, in the contract did they not that if he Spends a certain amount of time in the, on the disabled list. That something happens to the to the option year. I can't even remember how it was. Yeah, born, he, but it was,
0: if he forfeits the option year, or or it goes down to one million dollars if he has any sort of elbow issue that keeps him on the disabled list a certain amount of time, or that final year he's on the disabled list because of an elbow issue. So,
1: John Lackey had that deal with the Red Sox, and it came into play. They ended up. Uh, Exercising that, and I think he only played, f- got paid a million dollars his last year before he left for uh, uh, who was it? St. Louis, or yeah, St. Louis, uh, St. Louis, and uh, wasn't happy about it. But John Lackey's never happy about much of anything.
0: So. No, that, but it's it is interesting, and, and it is you know Andy Vance light came out and talked about Felix's elbow, and, and Felix does. You know, he takes care of that elbow area. He has, He's constantly getting treatment to be proactive on it. Now we've seen the shoulder become an issue and other things, but he never had an elbow injury. Um, so I, I, I don't know. It, it, it's That was probably, you're right, that was probably the highlight. I mean, you know, obviously the first day was Stanton. He, Man, he's just a huge human when he's watching. <laughs> it is ridiculous. Uh, but, yeah, other than that, it was pretty boring. So I guess we go into the Mariners stuff. The Mariners <laughs> made what? three moves during the winter meetings
1: yeah two international slot money trades and then the rule five and i guess the uh, have they even made the uh, the signing official yet i'm not even sure no
0: juan de is not taking his uh, uh physical till uh monday i think so we wouldn't have an announcement till probably monday evening uh, unless unless they get him in here sooner uh he's got to fly in from the dominican republic you know you're talking about also having the people like Team doctors and stuff Cal Fain, who does the physicals as part of that Is the Seahawks team doctor So he's going to be a little bit busy on Sunday So
1: yeah a little bit He's a little bit busy right now too But uh, um, Yeah so that's not exactly anything that's going to Really uh, uh, incite the, the fans to, to go buy uh, You know playoff uh, tickets Two to, to Minor leaguers And a rule five guy but uh, You know their big moves were already made. Uh, it looks like they're going to be their big moves of, uh, you know, uh, uh, Dee Gordon and. Uh, Ryan Healy. <laughs> Ryan, yeah, Ryan Healy. And, uh, you know, I'm sure DePoto thinks that uh, DiCasio is a very big move for strengthening the bullpen. S- still nothing on their rotation, and I'm getting more and more impression. Uh, tell me if. You feel the same way that they're <laughs> that they're not going to do anything with the rotation, and or if they do, it'll be something minor.
0: Yeah, I, I'd be surprised. Um, like he gave every uh, kind of hint that they he'd be satisfied going with going with this rotation of Paxton, Felix, Leak, Erasmo, and Marco Gonzalez going into the in the season. Now, I mean, I'm not a fan. But I look at that and go, that's not a viable rotation. I'm sure fans don't think that's a viable rotation. Fans want you e. Darvish or Jake Arrieta. I don't see them committing that much dollars to it, or unless Jerry's just posturing in the media trying to play up the fact that they don't want to go that way. But I don't see him going for the $160 million player. It kind of ties into your column that you wrote today or yesterday. Or is it today? Yesterday. Ran today.
1: that. Uh- yeah, I wrote it yesterday and it was posted yesterday, but it ran in the paper today. Yeah, I mean, he came out and said that he views free agency. His philosophy is free agency is for accents and and build, you know, uh, filling holes and that you build your team through, through trades for for young, you know, rising stars and through your own farm guys you develop through your own farm system. That you know, there's a there's a time for free agencies, but he certainly didn't make it seem like that, that this is the time uh you know he was so open about otani they let the world know that they wanted him you know maybe this is sort of a reversal that they're playing at coy now with uh, uh you know their desire to to, to to sign another pitcher that would be one of the first times they've ever been coy about <laughs> their moves under depoto but um you know things things can develop at any time including through spring training you know, so the, the you often don't know what team the team's going to be. I mean, Mariners have made significant moves. Nick Vincent was made uh, two days before opening day, and he's been a you know key player for them for two years. So you just you never say never with them. But uh, I'm beginning to think that this is the the rotation. These the guy the five that you mentioned with you know Andrew Moore uh, uh, as a possibility and Miranda. Uh, you know, as vying perhaps for for a fifth spot. And, you know, that's not a rotation that gets me too excited when you look at the powerful teams, you know, the uh, the Angels getting better and the Astros and all the other teams we talked about. It's going to really, it would really take a lot of guys coming through, Paxton staying healthy, Felix rebounding, and, you know, Erasmo and whoever the fifth guy is doing better than they've, you know, shown in the past. So, uh, yeah, I can't say I'm overly optimistic right now.
0: I mean, you could make the argument. He says, well, he only, he only, you know, uses free agencies to fill holes. You can make the argument that they have a hole in their rotation, that the drop off between Felix, uh, between Paxton and everybody else is significant. I mean, leak was great at the end of last year, and I think he'll be pretty viable, but you're not going to get that kind of production. Every start out of Mike leak or, you know, for, 29 starts i just i don't think that he's a nice pitcher he's a good probably number three and and to try and count on felix hernandez right now to stay healthy and to be productive i i just think you're asking for trouble so you know that's the argument he made is he might think they don't have a hole there but a lot of other people do yeah and and you know what do they do i mean could they wait and see if the market for Darvish goes down or Alex Cobb goes down. I mean, I don't think Lance Lynn is a great fit. I don't trust National League pitchers coming over to the American League. I think they struggle. Um, you know, I don't know who else is out there. I mean, after Darvish and Arietta and Alex Cobb, who's just okay, it gets pretty weak. I mean, I know there's not a lot out there, but there's not a lot in the system. And teams also aren't trading pitchers either. Uh, they just don't want to get rid of them.
1: No, they don't. I mean, but, you know, every once in a while, you know, pitchers do get traded. But just as an aside, you know, you, you, you could say that their two best players are both their, their big-time free agents, you know, Cano mm-hmm. and, and Cruz. So uh, that was done be- yeah. before DePoto. But, yeah. uh, but it, yeah, <laughs> um, you know, you got to spend money to get star players like that. Especially when the when you have the Mariners farm system, which is not only is it not producing pitchers, uh, but it has been picked clean by now by Depoto. I mean, he's tra- everybody just about this tradable has been traded. You know, he he says they've kept their core, but their core right now is, is young and, and not uh, not ready to help them for a while. When you talk about uh, the. The, their top three prospects in oh, the system yeah, are Kyle, all young guys.
0: Yeah, Kyle Lewis and uh, Evan White and I guess Sam Carlson Maybe I, I really
1: yeah, know. they're all in a ball and they're all they all ended the season hurt last year. So uh, You know uh, There's gonna be a point at which they're gonna have to go into free agency if they want to uh, really dramatically improve their team uh,
0: Well, we'll go back we'll get back to your column here. What we we're talking about so quickly on this slot trades like you know slot money i won't call it monopoly money the mariners don't actually get money when they make the, when they acquire that slot money to sign um otani or to give to otani it's not actual dollars it's just the right to spend dollars it's like trading chips you know you have a chip for a million dollars so they didn't actually get money like that can't go to say signing you Darvish. it's just it's just the ability to spend for that much um you know, they got two guys. I mean, the the Mariners have made 55 million trades with the Rays. And the fact that they used slot money to trade back for a guy that they traded to the Rays like six months earlier was like peak Jerry DePoto at that point.
1: Yeah, exactly. It had, it had a lot of people amused. But, I mean, you basically look at it. They traded two of their top ten prospects. And you can argue what that means, you know. Uh, top ten in the Mariner system might not be top 30 in another system but they were two of their top ten in Thiago and um, you know the catcher
0: oh What's David Banuelos. David
1: Banuelos. they traded for, for uh, what amounted to a million point five in slot money that they were going to use for Otani they didn't get Otani so they just traded back that same million five to get uh, Armstrong the, the pitcher and then the uh, the other pitcher that they got so you can decide the one they got from the Yankees uh, Mis- Mis- Oh, from the uh, Mis-
0: Rays Mizzavich Mizzavich Mis- 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 right that's right
1: from the, the 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 Rays so basically what they did was they traded miseric and Armstrong uh, they acquired those guys for uh, Banuelos and Thiago so you know, I'll leave it to the Baseball America types to decide whether that was uh, good trades or not. But you know, there was a time when everyone was pretty excited about uh, Vieira, Thiago Vieira, um, and the catcher has some upside as well. They think the other two guys are closer to the major leagues. So you know, who knows how that's going to turn out? But that's the way that came down. Uh, they also got a million dollars in the from the from the uh, Marlins in the. Uh, gordon trade Mm -hmm. so they have that they have that as well but you know you can use the the, the, i I assume they'll use that on you know you can there's cuban guys you can get there's always the crop of dominican and venezuelan players i don't think there's necessarily any more japanese players that they're going to go after i think uh those those are are done for now um so um you know, maybe they can make another trade of slot money, but I think they'll probably just keep what they have now and use it to sign young players.
0: Yeah, I mean, look, look, look the two guys they gave up are all potential guys. You know, Vieira is potential. He's 100. He has a 100 mile per hour fastball. Now he doesn't necessarily. It's going nowhere. It's going all the time. He still hasn't developed his slider as much as they would like. I, I mean, he doesn't fit into their bullpen. Uh, you know given who they have and the experience that they have, he would not have, you know, he'd come in and, and compete, but you just aren't projecting him to be uh, a contributing member of their bullpen probably to start the season. Uh, he just he really started to to struggle um, this year at the upper levels of AAA with command. You know, they kind of figured him out a little bit. Um, and then Benuelos is, is a, a defensive catcher, and he's a better defensive catcher than Mike Zanino Apparently a better framer and a better thrower. Probably the best, one of the best throwing catchers uh, in the draft last year. But he he has kind of some hitting deficiencies. And talking with a couple scouts, they, they projected him to be a backup at best. Kind of like a Sucre type almost. Uh, maybe a little bit better in hitter than Sucre. I mean, that's still a viable position on your big league roster. Um, but like, I guess with Armstrong, which is a great name for a reliever, He projects into your bullpen right now. I mean, I kind of pointed, you know, when we were down there after they signed Nicasio, and I kind of listed out, because the Mariners are going to go with an eight-man bullpen, I kind of listed it out that he would be in there, especially because he doesn't have minor league options. You know, don't you think that's – he'll make the opening day roster simply because he doesn't have minor league options over somebody like Dan Altavilla that does. Because this kid, I mean, he produced at the big league level. I mean, he's got a sub-three ERA in the bullpen over – 45 50 appearances
1: yeah i see i i would pencil him in as well uh, for the options reason and uh, um, and the, the, i think all the Villa still has options remaining and you know you're going to churn through i mean last year showed that you, you know that you're going to need 10 pitchers who don't make the uh, the opening day roster you hope you don't need that many but reality says that you're going to churn through guys for ineffectiveness or uh uh injury and so you know depoto has tried to build up that depth and they do have a lot of a lot of guys who have big league experience now some of it was out of necessity last year but they do have a pool to, to, to call upon and uh uh, I'm more curious about the the first baseman that they drafted in the Rule Five. You know, I I flew out before the Rule Five draft yesterday, so I haven't had a chance to discuss this with you in person. But I mean, I that that one left me scratching my head. I just don't see an avenue for him making the team, which you have to do as a Rule Five guy. Uh, if they go with a 13-man uh, pitching staff, that leaves three reserves. On, uh, on the bench, position players, your backup catcher, you got to have a, a middle infielder who can play shortstop, and you got to have a backup um, outfielder, and you can't, and he's not going to beat out Healy. I mean, I guess the only thing I could think of is one, there's going to be, you know, they protected against some sort of injury, or two, you could swing, you know, sometimes in these Rule Five, you can make deals you have to you have to keep the guy at the end of spring training you have to put the guy on the major league roster or you have to offer him back to the team you drafted him from for a half price sometimes you make a trade you send him a player and then you get to keep the guy i suppose if they think highly enough of him they could do the, they could do that you know i read the quotes that you had from tom allison and they didn't really answer the question of what they're going to do with the guy
0: no i think they're just going to bring him in and see how he how he plays and if that works and yeah, they'll probably try and trade him. I, I, I mean, technically, Andrew Romine can play the outfield. So if you wanted to carry him, and this kid, I looked, I think he's played left field before. I mean, he's not a great athlete. So I, I guess maybe if they want to go that route where they could, you know, hide him that way and maybe wait, you know, like get him into the season and then try and offer him back or then, you know, uh, try and trade for him then. Once the season starts, because then you've already filled, you know, teams have already filled out their minor league rosters and stuff like that. You know, the Yankees, maybe they don't really care one way or the other, but that was really interesting. I, I, you know, I mean, look, the peripheral numbers of of playing in the minor leagues are are really good. I mean, I'm sure the 404 on base percent has just made Jerry salivate, you know, I mean, he has for his career in the minor leagues, he has like. 100 more walks than strikeouts or something like that that's pretty impressive
1: yeah and it also makes you wonder what the uh how far daniel vogelbach has fallen now on the uh on the old depth chart um (laughs) he was a guy that went in yeah he went into camp last year as a viable i mean they were planning on him platooning at first base with danny valencia and uh you know, he had worked out and he was going to be uh, more nimble and all that, and that just fell by the wayside, and he didn't hit when he got called up. And, uh, you know, I just don't see any path for him other than maybe as a DH in in, uh, in 2019 after uh, Cruz leaves. But, and, um,
0: I, and I don't think Jerry wants to limit himself by having a full-time DH. I, I don't think he wants to do that. I mean, I guess if Vogelbach, you felt like he was decent enough to play first base some you know that it, but I mean just to have a guy and, and I guess he can i mean technically he can you know it's not like Cruz now where you're just afraid to put him in the outfield because he'll get hurt i mean with vogelbach you're afraid to put him at first base because he's gonna screw up so i i guess you know in that way but i mean that's that's what hampers the mariners more than anything with an eight-man bull you know an eight-man bullpen is that they have a guy that ostensibly can only play dh most days i mean I'm sure you can run him out in the outfield but uh, you and I, you know, you and I know that Scott Service is kind of relieving, breathing a sigh of relief that he doesn't have to put Nelson in the outfield for the injury aspect and the defense aspect.
1: Yeah, but on the other hand, it just shows what Otani would have brought to the roster too. I mean, yeah. it would have been, you know, you wouldn't have had to make that decision between keeping the thirteenth position player or the thirteenth pitcher because of the it would be embodied in one guy. And, uh, yeah, it would have resulted perhaps in Cruz playing the outfield some, but it also would have given them, in other ways, more flexibility.
0: Uh, it's, um, yeah, I was surprised by that. I, I, I didn't, but I, I mean, again, it's the Rule Five, it's, it's a minimal investment. I mean, the most surprising thing about the Rule Five is that the Padres didn't take anybody because they had a full roster. Usually they take two or three guys, you know, because yeah. they take theirs and then trade for other people's picks.
1: Yeah, and they, uh, you know, they seem to be entering another one of their uh, aggressive uh, uh, stances where, you know, they've sort of uh, peeled back the last couple of years. You know, A.J. Preller went for it about three years ago, failed miserably. They tore it down, and now they seem ready to go for it. You know, it's interesting to see teams who go through this uh, teardown when they decide they're, they're back, in the, back in the game. And, you know, the, the biggest example of that right now is the Phillies who signed Carlos Santana today, um, they've clearly decided that, you know, after, uh, you know, you could call it tanking. I don't think it's tanking. It's just trying to tear things down so that you can get a lot of draft picks and young players and then come out the other side and, and uh, break through, which is, you know, the Cubs, the Astros did it. Uh, so now the Phillies think they're ready, So and then the Padres as well uh you know if you want to tie back to my column a lot of people think the mariners should do that but um you know i think uh, uh, depoto doesn't believe it he thinks it takes longer than people think you know you think you could do it in three or four years He's, he said it takes five or six years and there's no guarantee that you're going to come out the other side and, and you know after all the misery that you put your fans through i mean the astros Went three years in a row with a number one draft pick, which meant the worst record in baseball—hundred plus losses. And you know, yeah, they got a World Series on the other end. There was no guarantee that was going to happen. They got a luck. They got lucky in some regards.
0: Um, with well, their best player was uh, just a, an international sign for ten thousand dollars.
1: Right. Yeah. There's no. Who knew that they were going to end up with a with an Altuve? Um, I mean, you that, know, they had a,
0: That changed everything, right there. That
1: cha- yeah, It did, and they they had a number one overall pick. That was a total flop that didn't – the uh, the, I, the pitcher.
0: They had two because Mark Appel, they ended up – he was a flop. Yeah. They traded him. And then Brady Aiken had that elbow injury. Right. And, they, and then they just didn't sign him.
1: Right. The exactly. Correa guy worked Update. out okay. Correa guy worked out okay. The Springer guy worked out okay.
0: <laughs> Bregman uh, was a first-round pick. I think he was number two overall.
1: Yeah. And uh, Lance McCullers uh, as well was a very high pick. So, you know, they hit – and, I mean – the Mariners haven't produced like a superstar caliber draft pick in probably you know. A rod. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. I guess Jones, maybe Adam Jones, but they didn't. He didn't do it for them. And A Rod was probably the last one. But that was a one overall. Griffey was one overall. You need those high picks. Uh, not always, sometimes you, you can do it in the later ends of the draft or the middle of the draft. and, and the, 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 I mean we've talked about this a million times, but the reason the Mariners are in the pickle they're in is that they had those picks and they blew it time and time again you know, Danny Holtz and Jeff Clement, you know, we can go through uh, Dustin Ackley, those three in particular, just imagine if they had hit those top three overall picks. Zunino is just now coming into his own as a number three, uh, two or three overall. Um, yeah.
0: So when you have
1: those, you'd better turn them into superstars. And they just didn't do that.
0: Yeah, it's, it's been a failure of, of drafting, I mean, on the selection process, you know, um, and also just on a failure of developing as well i mean the the halton thing was a fluke he would have been a vi i don't know that he would have been an all-star like francisco lindor who went behind him i believe wasn't that the year was it cisco lindor uh yeah yeah because i remember work watching him work out at safeco yeah oh Um, no the
1: uh the guy that the the everyone thought the mariners was going to take was the the the, um rendon with the nationals um you know, they could have had him instead, and, and, you know, that would have been a much better pick, but you're, you're right. You didn't – Holton was on the fast track to be, be – he was going to be in the rotation the, probably at the end of the year that he got hurt, and certainly by the, by the beginning of the following year, and then he just never never bounced back from his injury, and uh, that was hard to predict.
0: Yeah, one, one of the nicest kids ever. Yeah, it's this is a – you know, I've used it before, but this is an instructive – it's not really stat, but the Mariners have not drafted – and the, Our Kyle Seeger is the only player, the Mariners position player, that they've drafted and developed that became an all-star since Alex Rodriguez. That's that's a long time. It is. Very, very long time. Now, let's say they haven't got some viable major leaguers out of drafts, later parts of their drafts, some of the relievers and stuff like that. But, again, their first-round pick percentage is not great. On any of those,
1: no, no. And then you know, you look at Kyle Lewis, who uh, was looked like a great pick, a steal. And they were surprised he was there. And then he had this devastating uh, knee injury. And uh, I've said that 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 I mean, that was a huge. I, I don't think people realize what a blow that injury was to the organization. Will, I mean, maybe he's not going to be a center fielder anymore, and then and then his value diminishes right off the bat because. That skill set that he has as a center fielder would have been, uh, you know, hugely beneficial. As a corner outfielder, not so much, and and it set his timetable back as well. So yeah, it set his uh,
0: timetable back a year, and he don't you don't even know he hasn't proven he can stay healthy either. So and and really, if he's having this much trouble with the knee now, it's not like knees get better over time as you're on them. I mean, this is going to be something he's going to have to deal with going forward for a long time. I feel like this is going to be a problem.
1: Yeah, I mean, for sure. I mean, he did, he went to fall league this year, Arizona Fall League, and they had to kind of curtail him, didn't they?
0: Yeah, he couldn't he didn't uh, finish. They pulled him out because he was in he was having troubles with the knee again.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's pretty ominous for a guy. You know, the, the first draft pick of the Depoto the era is already having injury problems, and then so um, you know, that's just more bad luck for the Mariners in the drafting department. Uh, so, you know, he's way, it's way too early to write him off or anything like that. I mean, guys, I mean, John Ross uh, had a serious knee injury and came back as the fastest guy in football. So uh, of course, he hasn't had a great rookie year with the uh, Bengals, but um, you know, I guess, I guess you can come back from, from a very serious knee injury, but uh, you know, Maybe that first year back is just the, the setbacks are to be expected that the, yeah. they've they got to hope that the second year will be back from the injury will be smoother
0: yeah I mean that's a, it's important for, but like like you're talking about, and I know you wrote about it, and Depoto mentioned it like, like the tearing down aspect and start over it's not that simple it's not just as simple as saying we're going to start over. you can't start over when you have a hundred and some million dollars per season tied up into like four players i mean they' mm-hmm. they've committed massive dollars over the next few years that doesn't allow and you can't get rid of that money that doesn't allow you
1: to get to to yeah felix first of all felix uh who i mean if you let's say they right away when he took over he said okay we're going to tear this down felix had four years and a hundred million left i believe and a no trade clause and he's shown no interest in waiving that he you know he's happy here you know maybe you could Maybe you could work with him on that, but who, who at this stage of his career, the, the these GMs aren't stupid. They they know that he is at a place in the workload where he's very susceptible to, to problems and injuries, and that's exactly what's happened. And now, you know, the trade value for Felix is not very high. Cano, same thing. He's got a, at the time he had eight years left at twenty-five million a year. Who's going to take on that contract? Nobody, oh, I mean, so thanks. so it's it's not that easy to, to and Cruz, I just don't think he would get as much as you'd think by his numbers just because he's a he's a DH that uh, you know a lot of teams think that they they can stick somebody in that DH spot so it's you know Seeker's the one guy that I think you could have uh, you know leveraged into some good prospects. Uh, yeah. But I don't know if that would have been enough to to do a whole rebuild.
0: No, no. I mean, look, Felix is owed twenty six million this year, or twenty six point eight million this year, twenty seven point eight million next year. That's f- that's over fifty million dollars you've got tied up. Cano is under contract until he's t- two thousand twenty three, all at twenty four million dollars a year. Seager is finally getting expensive at nineteen million for the next three years. You know, Leak and, and Gordon, they're all kind of about Segura. They're all about market value. But that's a lot of dollars. You just, you know, you don't, you don't have any. Those guys are owed so much. And like with Hernandez, Felix, there's no, you can't trade him. I mean, you couldn't even trade him and get somebody to take all the money. You know, there nobody's going to take that money. And then. You're you're not going to get very much. I mean, Cruz, because of the DH limitations and only one year left, you're not going to get an A prospect. I mean, that doesn't make any sense. I and and Jerry pointed out, and I'm not going to go like all gumdrops and rainbows, but he has he has turned over the roster because I've had to write about it every damn day. (laughs) You know, he has. I mean, I'm looking at the club controlled guys that they have that are these are just pre-arbitration guys. Heredia, Gamel, or Vogelbach, I mean, whatever, hanniger Motter, Ryan Healy, uh, Miranda, um, Andrew Moore, Max Posey, Marco Gonzalez, you know, whatever, they're all, but Tony Zick, Diaz, Alta Villa, Pezos, Marjama, they're all pre-ARB guys. I mean, they've got a ton of guys, that, and then ARB control, like Paxton, um, Paxton, uh, Vincent, Zanino, they're all arbitration guys. I mean, those, you know, people on guarantee, they have one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight players on guaranteed major league contracts. You know, big league deals. And Zepchinski and Cruz come off next year. So, I mean, that's not like you're locked into all these guys. It has changed over. It's just changed over in a different way than having all these cool prospects to bring up.
1: Exactly, yeah. You know, we uh, you know, he made that point extensively during our interview on uh, on Wednesday. So, um, yeah, and he's very proud of the fact that they're the second youngest team now. Doesn't think people realize that in the American League West. Uh, the, the three free agents after this year, I think uh, you, you mentioned Zipchinski and Cruz, and I think David Phelps as yes. well. Uh, so... I mean, he he has brought in. I think he has been very creative in bring in finding ways to bring in guys like uh, Hanniger, who you know, maybe he's on the way to being a star. Uh, Gamal, uh, you know, Vincent was a nice acquisition. Pazos, you know, uh, all those transitions churning the roster. I mean, like he said, it's uh, for every one of those guys, you know, three or four of those guys you bring in, maybe one becomes a ball player so uh you know an impact guy so but the 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 downside is you you traded a lot of prospects uh you don't have a great minor league system and other teams have arguably gotten better faster and so i don't know if they're as close to a playoff spot as they were you know that first year he was there they went down to the wire for a wild card spot Last year, it kind of fell apart with injuries. And you know, as I look at the landscape now, I don't think they're as close to a playoff spot as they were two years ago. You know, they, I could be dead wrong. Things could break right, but uh, I just don't see it.
0: No, they've gotten incrementally better. These other teams have gotten significantly better. I think that's the problem. You know, and then just having the Albatross or the Astros in your your division, it automatically you you have to assume you're playing for the wild card. And then that opens you up to all these different teams. Now look, you put the Mariners in the AL Central, they can compete. But when you you're in, you have Houston in there, and they don't play particularly well against Anaheim for whatever reason. Uh, and even Texas is pretty formidable. I mean, that's that's an issue, you know. And you look around at all these teams. So even if you assume, you know, you, I mean, I think me and you, if we we. St- did our standings pick right now you pick the Astros the Indians and the Yankees to win their divisions right
1: yeah and and just uh, I'm not so sure that if you put the Mariners in the AL Central they'd compete I think the Indians are
0: well no but uh, I mean uh, they're good uh, I mean I think they're the second best team in the Central the Twins I don't think is significantly better than the Mariners do you
1: no no but as far as compete for winning the division uh, no way I think I think that the Indians are a 95 plus win team yeah, you know, I mentioned that in my column for Tuesday's paper about, you know, uh, something that uh, Dave Cameron had written on uh, fan graphs is that the American League model is now re- starting to resemble the National League model, which is these super teams at the top. And then a lot of uh, d- uh, teams that can't that decide they can't hang with them and are just going to going to tear it apart. It looks like the Orioles are joining. You know, if they trade uh, uh, um, Machado, you know, they could be heading down that road. Um the mariners refused refused to do that but you've got the 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 yankees the indians the astros and and he says the red sox are all 92 plus win teams you know judging by the analytics heading into the year so that 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 takes care of the three division winners in the wild card so you have the rest of the group fighting for the second wild card and then you know that's a awful that's an awfully thin margin of error there to, to fight be fighting for one the right to to, to play one um, playoff game on the road, and you're and you're going against the, the likes of the Angels, the the Twins, and whoever else. So,
0: yeah, uh, I mean, like if we went on paper now, you would probably say the Angels, the Twins, the Re- Rangers, you know, Re- Rangers. Re- we're putting the Red Sox in. If you're saying the Red Sox win 90 some games, we're putting them in as the number one wild card team. So then you're talking Angels. Twins, just Twins because they were there. I don't know if they're great. I I don't know if that was an aberration or not last year. The Rangers, I guess. um,
1: Well, yeah, you know, another team.
0: Rays, because they have pitching? I don't know. Yeah,
1: I don't think think so. I don't don't see that. But, you know, I think a team that's in this very same boat as the uh, Phillies I was talking about earlier is the White Sox. You know, they traded. They made all those trades. Sale and – you know, uh, uh, the white, you know, all those guys, uh, Eaton and uh, a bunch of them and got and everybody said they did a great job in getting prospects back that are ready to, to break into the majors now. And then all of a sudden they're being linked to, to Manny Machado. I mean, I read somewhere that they, they, they were some people call them the favorites to get Machado. So, you know, it's not going to be too long before the, uh, the White Sox are going to be a player as well. I don't know if it's going to be this year, but, um, you know, they're getting close.
0: Yeah, it's weird. I don't. I don't get that. I, I don't get that one at all. I, I guess I was reading somewhere where they said that their their goal is to to get him there, show him that he can be the face of their franchise, and sign him to a long term deal and make him their guy. But you know, Machado, I believe, is a Boris guy, isn't he? I think he wants to test the market a little bit.
1: Yeah, yeah. If he's a Boris guy, he will test the market.
0: <laughs> yes. I mean, so I, I just, yeah, I, I don't get that one, but. It, I mean, maybe it's not as difficult as you think. Maybe there's about four teams you're competing for for the second wild card, and if you believe you're good, okay. Um, But, like, on paper now as we look at this team, I like their bullpen. I like their everyday lineup, sort of. I don't like their starters specifically, you know, after their four and five guys. You know, I feel like if you could get a guy to put in between Leak, slide Erasmo down to your five – you know, move Gonzalez to long man or hope he clears waivers and goes to triple a, then maybe you have something, or at least it's competitive, but I don't know that this rotation is competitive. Now I could be wrong. I'm not a scout on all this, but it sure seems like that's an issue.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm, my assessment is pretty much the same. I think their everyday lineup is going to be pretty good. I think I really like the dimension that Gordon brings them of, uh, you know, you get the two guys at the top of the order, Gordon and Segura, uh, with some, you know, speed and the, neither one of them walks a, a ton, uh, which you'd like to see at the, at the top of the order. But, um, you know, they, they could play a different dimension now, a, a little bit more of a go-go game. Uh, the bullpen shapes up okay. Uh, you know, I like it. I don't love it. But the rotation just scares me. Uh, you know, even the best pitcher on the team, Paxton, Will he be able to put it together? If he could stay, if he could give you thirty-two starts, I think he'll be as good as any left-hander in the league.
0: But if he could give t- them twenty-nine starts, he could be. I mean, like if you set the bar at twenty-nine, that would be. Yeah, yeah oh, I'd take count.
1: that in a second. Yeah, absolutely. And then, you know, Felix. I hate to keep touting my columns, but I wrote that he was the, to me, to me, my money. He's the key guy to this whole thing because if he could go back he doesn't have to be the old felix but if he could be a solid guy for them that really really changes things leak looks pretty solid and then you just got to cross your fingers on four and five
0: yeah if you got got like a two war out of felix not to go all war but if you got a positive war rating out of felix um and where he made all 28 start or made 28 starts and got a positive war you know an era in the mid threes I, i you would probably be pretty competitive Um, if you knew, like going back to the bullpen, if you knew for certain that David Phelps was healthy and going to stay healthy, I think that bullpen could be almost great. I mean, you're still trusting a kid as your closer. Macassio is really good. Um, and he's versatile. I mean, they actually have some decent arms in the bullpen in terms of like power arms. Obviously, Nick Vincent is not. But you have Phelps, who's can get up to ninety six. You have Diaz. You have Nicasio. Even Pazos from the left side throws, you know, mid nineties and up. And I think he'll be even better his second year. You know, they have it's it's a little bit better than it was two years ago. That's for certain. So I mean, like if you knew Phelps was really going to be there all the time when you needed him, I think that would be really huge for them.
1: Yeah, no, no, no doubt. And you do have a little bit of depth. You know, you've got uh, Zick and and. Uh... Altavilla and and some other guys that uh, you know that that could be up and uh, if they don't make the team will will be available uh, you know like you mentioned before Arm- Armstrong looks like he since he's out of options yeah, I think he's a hard thrower or isn't he like so, Yeah you know, he
0: throws 96 tonight he can yeah. get up to 96 97 I mean you put Armstrong basically in the spot where you had Emilio Pagan don't right. you think I mean and that way, you could look at it as like, look, you you traded away Pagan to get Ryan Healy, but he also just traded slot money and Tiago to get another arm. If you think Armstrong's good, I mean that's that's not horrible either. So uh, yeah, you put him in that spot, and then you know Zick also ended the season on the DL, which shouldn't be overlooked. But he was there were times where he was really effective last year. I thought he got. You know, they were they were trying to baby him early because he had the, the offseason surgery going in the last season. And then they just wore him out towards the end, much like Nick Vincent.
1: And I think Diaz, you know, he I think he deserves some credit for, you know, working his way through a, a bad stretch where, he, lo- you know, he lost the job temporarily. But he he came through that and was at times dominant the rest of the way. And I, I thought. Uh, you know he'll be better for having gone through that, and I, I, I think he's at a stage where he could be one of the best closers in the league. He's got that kind of stuff, so, you know, that's a good place to start, uh, assuming he stays healthy and everything.
0: I think it'll just help for him. I thought he was gassed coming back from the WBC. I thought he was all kind of messed up with his mechanics. Um, I think the WBC affected Cruz. He was sick when he came back. Robbie Dude. was sick, and Robbie didn't do all of his typical workouts that he normally does we saw what it did with Felix and uh smile smile
1: yeah you could say that the WBC <laughs> kind of ruined the season for the Mariners in some ways I mean oh,
0: they, uh, they, there are they, some people over there that believe that
1: yeah no I know it I, I uh, uh they would never say it publicly because they want to be on board with the commissioner uh but uh they are very happy that there's no WBC this year and uh, it will allow them to have a much more normal spring training for sure
0: uh, I'm to think what else. So right now, if you were trying to like as we sit today, how would you slot out the AL West?
1: Well, I would put uh, the Astros, Angels, Astros, Angels, uh, Rangers, Mariners, A's, and uh, uh, you know, unless unless uh, something, you know, I could certainly change my mind after uh, all the moves that are made. But I mean, right now, I. I that's what i would do i would consider you know i would have to look a little more closely at the rangers yeah i got a call maybe, a
0: depth chart right now
1: yeah i don't have my computer here but um you know maybe i maybe i could see a way to put the mariners ahead of the uh the rangers and you know the, i don't think the angels are uh you know the unbeatable or anything like that uh i think that that you could for you could look at a scenario where the Mariners beat both those teams but I can't find a scenario where they beat the Astros no uh
0: yeah so the the Rangers rotation is Hamels, Martin Perez, Doug Pfister, Mike Miner and I don't know who this Herrera guy is and then their bullpen they have right now they have and th- th- this lists Matt Bush as a um, reliever but I heard they're going to convert him to a starter Mm-hmm. So then you have Alex Claudio on his 86 mile per hour fastball listed as their closer. Man, this MLB depth chart is weird. But they have because they've been out looking for um, uh, relievers as well. So they have Claudio, Jake Diekman, Keone Kella, Jose Leclerc. Yeah, their bullpen's not very good. Tony Barnett. No. Yeah,
1: and there you know there's some problems with their everyday lineup too. Yeah. So maybe I'll, you know I again I. I I may end up pick, picking the the Mariners ahead of the Rangers.
0: Um yeah, but I'm not picking them ahead of the Angels right now.
1: But I think the I think the uh, I think the Rangers have will have an impact move or two before this is done because they haven't done too much and they've always been an aggressive team. So I I, I think they'll do a few things.
0: I mean they have some hitters because they have Mazzara, Odor, Gallo, Andrews, and Beltre, And Chu. I forgot about right.
1: Chu. I think they they could trade you. I mean, the the, uh, the one of the rumors coming out of the winter meetings was that they were in some sor- sort of serious talks with the uh, Diamondbacks about Zach Greinke.
0: Yeah, that's foul and through apparently, but they could always pick back up again.
1: Yeah, I mean that's going to be a tough one to do because even for starters, I think he has limited no trade, and I'm not sure where the Rangers fit on that. But they must think they have a shot for him, or they wouldn't they wouldn't have uh, initiated this. But but uh, uh, you know that's a big contract to take on, and that just shows what sort of you know they were they they went really hard after thought they had a good shot at Otani, you know they're kicking the tires on Grinky, so they 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 are going to be aggressive and they they're not done yet.
0: Yeah, I would probably slot out the AL West similar to you. I would really have a uh, uh, back and forth on whether who's better the the Mariners or the the Rangers. Because the Rangers' pitching is bad, and Mariners' bullpen looks better. Their starters—I don't know. I mean, they have, I, not nothing. What what's kind of striking to me about all of this is like I'm sitting there thinking about these teams. The Mariners played so poorly against AL West teams last year, other than Oakland. You know, Texas. I mean, obviously Houston has been an issue for years, but anaheim comes here and takes what four games in safe code they played so poorly against their division teams that's why i don't know i'd have a hard time rating them third even it's because they they just you know and next year's a different year but you got to play better
1: yeah i mean that's uh, those things are those things do change sometimes from year to year but you know going in you have to think that the uh, certainly the other teams aren't you know that if uh, if there was a podcast right now being done in Texas or Anaheim, they're picking the Mariners fourth without, oh, yeah. without even thinking twice about it. So, you know, you tend to look, look at things a little closer when you're the team you're cover, covering. But I, I can guarantee you that the perception of the Mariners right now is not a very good one for national types and outside of, the, of this market. And for a lot of people in this market as well.
0: All right, we'll wrap it up because I know you got you haven't written your column on the Seahawks. You already did a football reference, so I know you're itching to go right about that. <laughs> um, have you done your ballot yet for Hall of Fame? I
1: have not. Uh, I uh, I think I'll dig into that next next week. I, I'm actually taking the week off because my wife is going to have some surgery, minor surgery, so I will be uh, helping her convalesce, and I will do my uh, I will do my um, mine man. how about
0: you yeah i have not done mine i'm flying back to montana on tuesday i i i'm assuming i'll have a lot of free time in haver montana you know the the burgeoning metropolis that is haver montana so i think i'll do mine next week as well um you know we've you know you've for folks who have twitter you've seen that edgar's what about 80 81 percent right now of the votes that uh not mr tibbs has on file
1: yeah it's incredible i mean he's way above where he's been at this stage before and i think he's so many people now look at the the not mr tibbs account that people are starting to get excited and thinking he has a really good shot uh it's going to be it's going to be borderline for him to make it this year because you know all the the old fogies (laughs) the curmudgeons as you put it uh who are probably more likely to look at a you know, to be more conservative and say a DH doesn't belong, et cetera, are the types that are older, not on social media, not making their ballots public. And those, so he's going to have to be, uh, it's it's like when you you have a, uh, a county that hasn't come in and they're all, it's a conservative county or a liberal county, and you know that those votes are going to flood one way or the other, and you better be well ahead. That's the same with, with Edgar. He's got to be way, way over the 75%. Uh, at the end, so that that's this flood of uh, uh, you know conservative votes uh, doesn't uh, knock them out of it.
0: Yeah, it, we were so we have a Facebook thread amongst friends, and we were discussing this today. It, w- the one thing would be interesting to note is how many non-Edgar voters lost their votes because you know they they have exceeded the time frame of being more than five years away from an employer as a working BBWA member. Mm-hmm. And similar to that, how many people lost their votes that were Edgar voters? Because that affects the percentage significantly.
1: Yeah, I think I think that demographic helps Edgar because it's the you know the ones who are out of the business are probably older and maybe less likely to vote for them. I think the new voters are more attuned to to analytics and and more open to the argument that just because you're a DH, uh, uh, that doesn't mean that you should be. Uh, demeaned or denigrated for that and are more open-minded about that and you know there's been a lot of stuff on the internet uh vouching and uh endorsing edgar and i think that's really created this groundswell here and uh, you know it's uh, it's working to his benefit there seems to really be a, a i mean groundswell is the word it's just amazing to see what what has happened in the last two years he's going to be if he doesn't make it this year he's going to be at 68 to 70 i'm pretty sure 72 with one year left on the ballot and, and history says he'll get in. I mean, uh, this is pretty much what happened to Tim Raines. He's actually ahead of where Tim Raines was. So uh, I think I think it looks awfully good for Edgar right
0: now. Man, that would still be a pretty big kick in the teeth, though. You get to like 74% or whatever and then have to wait a whole year.
1: Yeah, that's uh, – well, I think that happened. It's Isn't happened a Hoffman couple times. Where a Hoffman, I think it happened to Bagwell um and he he skated you know he sailed in the next year uh you know hoffman is behind edgar in the in the early early polls i think he's going to get in but uh um it'd be a, it'd be something if uh, he didn't get in this year you know he's got a lot of years left on the ballot whereas edgar only has two so you know when you get to to the last year people look people who are on the fence tend to give you the benefit of the doubt because they know it's your last chance. So that's why, you know, I think everything is, is looking pretty good for him, but I'm sure he'd, he'd like to get in this year and not have to, to worry about it for, for a whole nother year.
0: No, that'd be fun for us. So another trip to Cooperstown. Yeah. I know, you know, we were talking about what, well, Oh God, I can't
1: wait. That's I've been for three ceremonies and they're among the highlights of my entire career. I just love it. Um, you know, one thing we were talking about the, the the highlights of the winter meetings. The very first thing uh, that we were greeted with on Monday morning was the uh, press conference with Alan Trammell and Jack Morris. And, oh yes, uh, I found, and, and you know that was there at the winter meetings. And that was that was a very moving. Uh, event i mean morris was in tears the whole time i mean speaking he was so, of curmudgeons so, by the way yeah yeah but you could just tell how much it meant to him he could he couldn't even speak the you know he, he was fighting back tears the entire way and you know it's, it was just a really cool press conference i thought for one thing all the uh the hall of famers on the veterans committee were there in the audience. I mean, it was George Brett and, uh, uh, Al Kaline and and all these luminaries were sitting there in the audience. Robin Yount, who looks like, uh, like the, the bass player for, uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac or something with (laughs) his long hair. And, uh, um, so you had, you had those guys in the audience and then you had Trammell and, and, uh, uh morris who were teammates and friends on the on the tigers and so there was this off there was, there was this rapport and respect between the two of them so it that was a really cool thing
0: yeah it was cool i i, I really enjoyed that um you know the, the other highlight of that um monday at the winter meetings was greg johns of MOB.com taking us to a restaurant in the swan and dolphin that only serves salad yeah
1: we we didn't realize that when we walked in there we thought it was like a regular restaurant we pick up the menu and there's only three things on the menu and they're all salads. so we like like, called the waitress over uh can we have the real menu please (laughs) and
0: then and then we're we were too far in to get up and leave i'm like what the hell so we get done eating that we i get like a steak salad and i have to go to like their little shop there and buy a bunch of potato chips just to just to feel like a real baseball writer yeah
1: we uh not surprisingly, we did not return to that restaurant. We, it, it was this jam-packed uh, hotel, and, and every restaurant was like standing room only. And there was, but this this salad restaurant was wide open. We should have known that that was the first clue that there was uh, it was <laughs> not what we thought yeah. it was. With, when, that we got a seat right away.
0: When there's all agents and people that work for agents in there, that's a bad sign. Where all the like all the slovenly-looking ball riders are in the burger and <laughs> shake bar just exactly.
1: You. <laughs> exactly.
0: Uh, All right. I'll let you Let's go. Let's call it. All right. Thanks. Larry All right. Thanks. On, All right. Thanks, Ryan. Bye-bye. All right. That will wrap up this week's X-Dreams podcast here at the Seattle Times. Big thanks to Larry Stone for coming on and talking for like an hour. and uh, That was kind of a lot longer than we should have been talking. Oh, well. Um, Thanks to Midnight Salvage Company, official house band of the Extra Innings podcast. That bumper music and all that stuff is is pretty cool. Works out really well. Uh, Next week, we will probably be doing something on Hall of Fame boats, as you could tell by the end of our our conversation. So, as always, if you need to get a hold of me, uh, you can hit me up at my email at rdivish at seattletimes.com on twitter at ryan divish uh on my professional facebook page this is ryan divish and there's a picture of me smiling like an idiot so once again thanks for listening and we'll talk to you next week